These five truths become really the thing that frames and shapes and burst the Reformation. And these were the five things that got the church back on track. The authority of God's Word. The centrality of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith. This is all done by God and for His glory. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. If we're not going to devote and defend right, sound doctrine, then we run the risk very, very blatantly, and historically this is what happens, we become deceived, and then eventually you fall into deception enough, I love you and I know this is not popular, and I know I'm not supposed to say this, but you fall into deception enough, you abandon enough right thinking, and we stop being the church. This is Sozo Church. Robert Levitt, Uh, I am the children's pastor here at Sozo Church, Uh, but I want to get started because we have a lot to cover this morning, and uh, there is going to be quite a bit of context that I'm giving you today, because uh, we're talking in this series about something that is of extreme importance. Uh, In case you weren't here last week, uh, we just started a, a series called Alone, that is focusing in on the uh, what are ca- called the five solas, uh, uh, which is just a fancy Latin word for the word alone. Uh, and so these are five points of doctrine, five points uh, that the, the reformers in the 16th century, uh, at, at that point in history, the, uh, the, the Catholic Church, which I'm going to be referring to as, as the papacy, which is just the, the pope and church authorities, uh, because uh, I don't want you to get confused with between what the Catholic Church was then and what it is now. They're two very, very different institutions. And so uh, uh, when I refer to the papacy, I'm referring to, yeah, the pope and the church authorities. But I want us to understand the culture and the historical moment of what was happening at the point of the Protestant Reformation. And so these five points of doctrine that the Reformers came up with, they were, well, they didn't come up with them, <laughs> but they, they, they found them in Scripture. But uh, that they saw as the basis and the foundation for resisting the corruption of the Christian faith in their period. And I believe, we believe as a church that these are five things that if we hold them as as core to our belief systems, we are going to be able to live effectively as the people of God. And so the the five are right up here, the authority of God's word, the centrality of Jesus Christ, that salvation is by grace, that salvation is through faith, and that God alone is to receive glory. And so today we're talking about the authority of God's word alone. And I'm so excited about this topic because I believe there is so much that we can learn when we look at history and especially when we look at history through the lens of the inspired word of God. We see that scripture 
is not something new. It's not something that we just came up with a, a couple years ago to, you know, grab people together and, uh, and, and, and sing some songs. No, God has been guiding us, correcting us, forming and fashioning us as a justice-seeking, God-glorifying people for thousands upon thousands of years. And so when we study scripture, when we study the word of God, we are stepping into a tradition that goes far beyond just this point at this time in this moment. And so I want us to pray, and then we're, we're going to dig in. God, we come humbly before you today and proclaim your greatness, God. We proclaim your greatness in the midst of our smallness, your power in the midst of our weakness, your knowledge and the limits of the knowledge of even the most brilliant among us. God, you are high and above all things. And we come before you in bold humility, asking that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, that as we read your word, God, that you would make it come alive within us. God, that what we hear, it would not stay within our heads, but rather you would let it penetrate and permeate our hearts. That every part of our being may be formed and fashioned by the word, by the gift that you have given us in scripture. And we thank you for it. And we ask that above all else, that you would help us to love one another better and that as we love one another, that you would be glorified in the midst of that. To you be all glory and honor. In Jesus' name and by your spirit, God, amen. All right, so I want to get a, a few scriptures into our thinking uh, right at the outset here. I don't have time to dig into uh, to these ones specifically, but I want you to take note of them, think about them, and let them kind of uh, be stewing in your mind as, as we get, get started today. So the first one is from Colossians 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. You can read it on the Sky Bible if you don't have your, your Bibles here. Uh, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then the next one is Hebrews 4.12. It reads, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. It reads, We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. So leading up to the Reformation, uh, the, the papacy, which, I, like I said, just the, the pope and church authorities in, in the Middle Ages, was the largest and most powerful institution in the Western world. 
They owned uh, roughly one-third of all the land in Europe. They um, laid claim to kings and princes. They, there was no way of escaping, essentially, the rule of the papacy because every single person was subject to their local priest. The local priest was, uh, was the one who baptized you. They welcomed you into the faith. They were the one that taught you. They, they were the one who uh, gave you communion. They married you. They buried you. They, <laughs> they held the keys to your salvation. And at this point, the Bible was only, <laughs> uh, was only widely available in Latin. And most people like today, don't know Latin. <laughs> and, when, and so the Bible was more or less tied to the pulpit. It was tied to the, the, the priests. They were the one that you had to go to, to, to hear God's word. And what this created was a system of power in which the, the people had no authority or ability to seek out God's word for themselves. They had no ability to study God's word and to say, hey, I'm not so sure, I don't, I don't know if that's right. They had no ability for that. They, the Latin, and not only this, but the Latin translation of the Bible was, that was used by the priest was riddled with translation errors that even at points were used and manipulated by the papacy for their own means. And I could go on talking about this for hours, about how uh, one of my favorite people in history, Desiderius Erasmus, such a great name, uh, and also, should I ever have another son, the name of my son, I'm sure my wife is on board with it. Um, <laughs> I could talk about how he resisted this idea and how he, he pushed it aside and challenged this thinking, but ask me about that afterwards and I would be glad to talk for several hours. Uh, but the papacy, they made all these laws and doctrine out of the most absurd of things about such as what could be eaten and what could be worn and uh, uh, when you could do either of those things. And so, for instance, one of my favorites is that they made it a sin to eat butter at certain times of the year unless you purchased a butter certificate from the papacy. Uh, so you had to really want your toast. They also had these great things called indulgences, uh, which they would go around selling indulgence certificates that had been mass-produced and signed by the Pope uh, that allowed, they were essentially insurance for your future sin. So, as Luther's favorite indulgence peddler, Johann Tetzel, uh, was famous for saying, uh, just kidding, Luther didn't like him at all. Uh, he, <laughs> he wrote 95 Theses against him. Uh, but Luther, he... 
uh, or Johann Tetzel, his, uh, kind of one of his famous sayings was, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. So you have to at least admire the guy for his marketing wit and his understanding of the importance of a good jingle. So, <laughs> but in the midst of all this, the papacy had established a, a system in which they held the singular, it was believed that they held the singular interpretation and application of Scripture, and that the word of the Pope was to be held as the word of God. To question the Pope, to question your priest, human people, was to say that you were questioning God. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so, in light of that context, I want, I want us to open our Bibles to 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. And this, this passage, it's, it's a passage that Martin Luther, one of the key reformers, he was, he was a monk at the time of, in the 16th century, who really kind of, one of the key fire starters of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, he, he saw this, within this passage, a, a, essentially that scripture was calling out these things that the papacy was doing. And so it says in first four, or first Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot iron. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and struggle, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe." And so Martin Luther, he read this passage from 1 Timothy 4, and what he saw was a direct reflection of what the church had become. He saw what he saw in his, in his culture, in his time, in his place, in his period. What he saw, he, he then found, he found it in, in Scripture. He's like, wow, this sounds a lot like what's going on here. And so he saw that they had departed, the church had departed from the faith that they had given way to deceitful spirits, that those in the system were unrepentant, that they forbade priests and monastics to marry and disallowed the eating of foods which God had called good. The church was striving to make sin what was not sin and striving to make what was of little importance, of supreme importance in a person's 
salvation. They were quite literally making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> and all of this was in contrast, direct contrast, to what Jesus himself said in the Gospels regarding our freedom that we have in him, our freedom that we have in Christ. And Luther saw that the church was in bondage. And many of these abuses, many of these things that were happening were tied to the papacy's hunger for power, authority, and money, which luckily are not temptations that any of us struggle with nowadays. Um, I'm really glad we've progressed past that. Um, <laughs> but what better way to manipulate a person than to convince them that you hold their salvation in your hands? And so, in light of this, the... the main question that was stirring around in the air at the time of the Protestant Reformation was who or what holds the authority over or holds authority over the Christian life? Is it the papacy? Is it scripture? Is it some other institution? Where do we turn for understanding of how to live? What, what is our measuring stick for matters of doctrine, of theology, of, of uh, how do we figure out that we are believing rightly? What is our authority? And this is a question that we have to ask ourselves today just as much as they did then. Who or what holds authority in my life? What forms my conception of who God is? How do I know who God is? Is it the word of God? Is it scripture? Or is it a person or institutional structure? Is it a, the latest book in the self-help section at the Christian bookstore? Like, that, that, that promises me I'm a winner? Like, what, what are these, what is forming our concept of who God is and how do we live the Christian life. I mean, for me, I mean, getting, getting down to it is something that I believe about the Christian life. Do I believe something about the Christian life that I only believe because it was popular in my privileged, white, lower middle class upbringing? Is that what forms my concept of God? Do I believe that Jesus was a white man? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's get down to it. What is my authority? Who or what am I submitting my life to? We all have to wrestle with that. The reformers, they stood boldly before the papacy, before government officials, before their own communities before those who could very easily take their lives and tried many, many times, and many lost their lives. And they stood up before them and said, it is scripture. It is the word of God that holds supreme authority in my life. And I would challenge us to, to stand up and say the same. 
For the God, for the Scripture is God's self-revelation to us. Yeah, there will always be mystery in God, but we everything that we need for worship and for living a life that is glorifying to God is made available to us through the words of Scripture. So I want to show you this in Scripture. So flipping over to the uh, second letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully." All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Luther said that scripture is the womb from which are born all theological truth and the church. We don't exist if not for the gift that God has given us in Scripture. It is because of Scripture, it is because of, of, of studying the Word of God, that is one of the primary things that unifies us together, that makes us a church. That is where our theological truth comes from. It is from Scripture. And this is the truth that we're forced to wrestle with in this passage from, from 2 Timothy. The sacred writings are able to instruct us for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for proof, for correction, and training in righteousness. When we read the Bible, we're not simply reading narratives. We're not simply reading poetry or letters. We are positioning ourselves to hear afresh the words of our creator and opening ourselves to be formed and fashioned by them into what God has called us to be. The Bible is not God, but it is in the scriptures that God has uniquely revealed God's self to us. It's in the scriptures that we find and that God has chosen to reveal himself. We, we talk about there being, uh, we do talk about mystery. We do talk about uh, uh, there is a, sort, a certain level of unknowability about uh, certain aspects of God, but God has given us, God has given us this as the basis for our belief. He has given us what we need in here and allows us to rest in some of those mysteries. 
As one, uh, one theologian that I, that I read, Kevin Van Hooser, he, he, put, he talked about the Bible in a way that really resonated with me, which is that he calls the scripture, he says, the scriptures are the swaddling clothes of Christ, the manger to which we come to adore him. That just gives me chills every time I read that because uh, God revealed God's self to us in Jesus Christ and gave us the scriptures as the foundation for our continued encounter with the triune God. It's at the scriptures that we, we read about Jesus and we come worship him and adore him. It brings the, every time we open the scriptures, it's like we're kneeling at the side of that manger and worshiping Christ. And so the church leading up to the Reformation, it's really easy for us to demonize them. It's really easy to look at the rules, the, the different things that they put in place, coming up with things like, uh, like butter certificates and indulgences and all these different, different ideas that the reformers were resisting. It's really easy to demonize them and say, oh, we would never do anything like that. Aren't we so prideful? <laughs> Think about it this way. In Genesis, let's, let's take it back to the beginning now. In Genesis, Adam and Eve hear the word of God that they are to care for and enjoy all of creation just within the context that God has defined for them. And they disobey. They turn away. They, uh, they, they, <laughs> they cause the fall. They, <laughs> they, they corrupt. They, they become corrupt because they turned away from the word of God. The Hebrew people coming out of Egypt, God has just released them from 400 years of slavery. You would think they would have a proper concept of who God is. And... God says, hey, just follow my word. You're going to be prosperous if you listen to my word and you obey the law that I have spoken. And what do they do? They've hardly got 10 feet away and they make a golden calf and start worshiping it. They did the same thing by defining their own way of living apart from the word of God. And then the Gospel of John. Let's bring it forward a little bit. It says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We had the very embodiment of our Creator standing in front of us, showing us and telling us how to live, what is necessary for salvation, and we crucified Him on a cross. You and I, we hear the word of God preached, then we ignore the scriptures and we continue in our sin. We are no different 
from those people in the, at the time of the Reformation, uh, so often twisting scriptures to, to fit what we want it to mean for, that is comfortable for our lives or making these rules that are, uh, that are not set out in Scripture, that, aren't, uh, that have no place in the words of Jesus. When we leave Scripture behind, we see it over and over and over and over. We lose our way. When we ignore the testimony to God's relentless love for a people that God has chosen, we lose our hope. When we push aside God's self-revelation in Scripture, we start forming our image of God, our, our concept of who God is in our own image. We create a God who holds no resemblance to our creator and redeemer. If you want to know God, I hear that a lot of, of I, there's just no way to know who God is. There's just no way. If you want to know God, read God's self-revelation, which is Scripture, which is the Word of God, which is the Bible. Read this. Learn the character of God. Learn who God is. Let, devote yourself to Scripture. Let it permeate your life. Pray that God would speak to you through it because all Scripture is inspired by God. We just read that. This is why... Martin Luther translated the scriptures into, uh, into the, the language of, of, of his culture, into German, because he wanted everyone to be able to look at scripture and to be able to say, this is my authority. This is, this is what I am going to base my life on and truly experience God through it. And so sola scriptura, this idea that, uh, that the authority or the, the authority of God's word alone. It reminds us that the basis for our lives and the community of faith, our church, Sozo, right here, right now, should always be the word of God. But in this, it's also an invitation to dialogue because it resists the idea that one person can have the proper, one singular person independent of the community of faith can have the proper interpretation or application of Scripture. Scripture is meant to be read and interpreted within the community. And so it's a, we're given the responsibility of submitting to one another as we read Scripture. Because when we go off on our own, we can come up with some pretty twisted things that have no basis either in the historic Christian faith <laughs> Or let's be real, in the Bible, <laughs> you can take some words and, and make it mean whatever you want. But God has breathed the church into existence through Scripture, and it is in the church that we are to read Scripture, to experience Scripture, to, to, to learn about Scripture, and to know Scripture. And so, we have to hold the, the Scriptures with humility because it's scripture that holds the authority, not our individual opinions. And we as the church have the responsibility of seeking out proper interpretation in community.
And so I want to bring this home to us. We're a charismatic church. I might step on some toes here, but in some communities that can get pretty weird, <laughs> which is why I love our saying, we're only as weird as we have to be. Um, <laughs> if it's in scripture, we're going, we, we believe it. But if, if, if it's not grounded in here, let's, uh, let's take a step back here. There are countless books written on all sorts of things, uh, whether that be the, the latest doomsday prophecy or dream interpretation or the power of certain prayers or any number of ideas, and they place our experience of God or an individual interpretation of Scripture. I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad, but when they're removed from Scripture, when they're not based in Scripture, we go astray in the same way that happened all those years past and we have done over and over. Because they so often isolate our experience of God from the reading, interpretation, and application of Scripture within the community of faith. We end up letting our emotions and experiences dictate our beliefs rather than God's self-revelation. We learn who God is through our, or we decide, I'll put it that way, we decide who God is rather than learning who he is. So we have to ask ourselves, are we, like Paul wrote to Timothy, are we accumulating for ourselves teachers who fit our own desires? That's a temptation that I think we, we all have to, have to wrestle with as well. Is Once again, there's nothing wrong with books. I love books. I, lo I love studying. I love all of that. I love education. I think it is crucial and important. But it has to be submitted to the word of God. Because the word of God is our authority. And so, we have to allow Scripture to correct us. The church, the Protestant Reformation, at that point, the church split in two because Martin Luther and the other reformers, they began to read Scripture and found what was being taught by the papacy didn't line up with the Bible. They tried to start a dialogue. They tried to bring correction, but the papacy refused correction. The authority of Scripture alone is a recognition of the authority of God's Word as well as our sinfulness in interpreting and applying it. This principle continually calls us back to the foundation of Scripture, to the fountain of Scripture. And so I, I pray that we can be a community which engages in this dialogue with the word of God that allows scripture to speak and for us to respond with humility. That we would allow scripture to, to penetrate into our hearts and change us, not change it. we can continually spur one another on into deeper relationship with God through scripture and greater devotion to justice and love in our world. 
We need to be saturated in Scripture to avoid this vicious cycle that we, that we just went through of forgetting the Word of God and going our own way. I will tell you, though, that reading Scripture is risky. <laughs> it's not something to be taken lightly because it challenges our beliefs. It exposes our sinfulness, our racism, our greed, our gluttony. It exposes our prejudice and our privilege. When we truly allow Scripture to transform our hearts, we are compelled to live as Jesus tells us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. And if we're not, we're not allowing Scripture to reach our heart. We're leaving it as an intellectual exercise. We hear the plight of the refugee and are compelled to respond. We see injustice and we cannot help but act. Our false images of who God is are crushed when we see, when God reveals anew to us through Scripture who God is. So will you allow yourself to be challenged? As... As Mark says, and I was told it was a requirement of preaching up here, it's time to land the plane, dock the boat, or park the car. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like the, uh, if the worship team could come on up. <laughs> We're going to tie things up here. So, Martin Luther at one point, he was called before the emperor and he was questioned on his teachings of telling people that they needed to focus on Scripture, not the word of the papacy. And he was told to recant. And to this, this is a quote from Luther. This is what he replied. He said, my conscience is a prisoner of God's word. I cannot and will not recant. For to disobey one's conscience is neither just nor safe. God help me, amen. He mic dropped and he walked out. And a price was put on his head and his life was never the same after that because he was continually hunted because he put the authority of the word of God above all else. My prayer for us today is that we would allow our consciences to become prisoners of the word of God. And that as we do, that we would come to see Jesus Christ more clearly, who is living, breathing at their center. Because scripture is the manger to which we come and adore him.